Pastor Adam Hamilton tells the story of Daryl Burton. On June 28, 1984, he was arrested for the crime of murder. You see, 30 days earlier, a man named Donald had been shot and killed while putting gas in his car in St. Louis. Eyewitnesses identified the killer as short, about 5'6", light-skinned black man. Daryl is 5'10". His skin is much darker than the description in the police report. Yet, on the basis of two witnesses, and with only an hour-long meeting with his public defender before the trial, Daryl was convicted of murder. Daryl writes, There was no motive, no fingerprint, no weapon, no DNA evidence, no confession, or any evidence connecting me to the crime. The only thing that connected me to the case were two lying witnesses uh, who were giving snitch testimonies. These two men testified falsely against me because they were making deals with the police and the prosecution to have their serious criminal charges they were facing dropped. In fact, an eyewitness to the murder attended Daryl's trial and told the police, you have the wrong man. That is not the man I saw commit this crime. The problem was Daryl's lawyer hadn't interviewed this witness in preparation for the case, so she was not allowed to testify. Daryl was sentenced to 50 years in prison. It would take 24 years until August 29, 2008, for Daryl to be exonerated. There are many, many stories, unfortunately, like Daryl's. And my point is, lies can kill, literally. Lies steal, lies destroy. If you're just joining us this morning, we're in a sermon series called The Ten Commandments Today, How Ancient Laws Lead to a Flourishing Life, and we're, we're nearing the end. Today, we're looking at commandment number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And it may be tempting to kind of limp to the end of this series and, and maybe think that these last two commandments aren't really all that important. Uh, but let me remind you that there are over 600 laws in the Old Testament, and so these two still make the top ten. They were still written on the stone tablets. They were still put in the Ark of the Covenant. So we're not going to limp to the end this morning because these are still crucial laws. And as I've pondered the commandment this week, I've been reminded at how destructive lies can be and in general our words can be as well. So far from being a benign or even small sin, lies are demonic, right? Satan, what's his name? He's called the father of lies. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And let me ask you, how does Satan do his work? All that stealing, killing, and destroying. By lying, by deceiving people, by deception. That's really pretty much all he can do. And these lies come to us through the world and through people as well. And when we are participating or complicit in lies, we are actually participating in the work of Satan and his destruction. Words literally kill. And this commandment's intention is to protect our neighbor from the harm of lies, especially in the courtroom and the judicial process. But we should also think this morning of ways that uh, our words harm in any way and ways we can use our words to love our neighbor and protect their well-being. 1 Peter 3, which was read earlier, says, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil uh, and their lips from deceitful speech. 
They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. So this morning, I want to talk about turning from destructive speech to life-giving speech. Martin Luther has been so helpful all series on this Ten Commandments, and he's again helping us this morning. He said, this commandment means that we should fear and love God. By the way, you know how he always, notice how he always connects all the commandments to the first commandment. It all, be, all comes out of our fear and love of God. We fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way to be as charitable as possible. That's a wonderful, wonderful goal. And then let me remind you also of the words of Jesus Christ. He says this, I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. So again, we want to turn from destructive speech to life-giving speech. We're going to make four turns this morning. The first one is this. We're going to turn from lies to the truth. This is the first and most foundational act is to move from deception, lies, half-truths into the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Ephesians 4.25 says, Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Lies, again, they're harmful, they are destructive, they are, un, they are unloving, and they have their root in Satan. They can harm and even kill our neighbors. And again, the original context and intention of this command was to protect people from false witnesses in the court. Why? Well, because many of the laws in the Old Testament were punishable by death. So charges were taken very, very seriously. Uh, to protect people from false witnesses, there was always the requirement of two or three. You couldn't just make any decision based off one. But even that uh, kind of protection could be manipulated. So there's a story, if you've been in our, following along in our Bible reading, uh, there was a man named Naboth in the Old Testament. King Ahab wanted his vineyard, but Naboth did not want to sell his vineyard to King Ahab. So Ahab is all upset by this. He's all soaking. He, soaking. he goes back home. He tells Queen Jezebel what happens and says, Naboth doesn't want to sell me his vineyard. And Queen Jezebel is so evil, she says, well, you're the king of Israel. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite Naboth to a dinner. We're going to invite some people to come falsely testify that he has blasphemed God. And then we're going to use the courts to condemn him to death, kill him so that you can take his vineyard. And that's what the Bible says exactly happens. An ancient story still happens in different ways today. People manipulate the truth in the court system and the judicial process, even to put people to death as well. Just like Satan, people lie in order to st steal and kill, breaking the sixth and eighth commandments, respectively. And when lies are told in public, when lies are told in the courtroom, People, society, peace, security, and justice are all at grave risk. So the Old Testament sets up processes uh, to help people discern the truth. Look at this from Deuteronomy 13. If you hear it is said about one of the towns that the Lord your God is giving you to live in, that troublemakers have arisen among you, 
and have led the people of their town astray, saying, Let us go and worship other gods, gods you have not known. Then you must inquire, probe, and investigate it thoroughly. And so Old Testament uh, tradition talks about all the different ways they would do this and verifying witnesses and testimonies and cross-examinations and and things like that. But there is an assumption here that through thorough investigations, they tend to help us find evidence which leads us to discerning what is true and that these things must be undertaken and that when we undertake these processes, we have a much better chance at arriving at what is true. And so really, despite the ongoing problems of, of false witness and incarceration, which I don't want to minimize because that's very serious. And that's uh, some estimate about uh, 5% of people are falsely incarcerated today. Um, and that's uh, somewhere over 10,000 people, maybe more. Uh, but still, about 95% of the time it's estimated that these processes tend to arrive at the truth, which I think is pretty good considering we live in a world stained by sin and greed and injustice. And even out of that 5% where a lo- other processes emerge, or even like Daryl Burton, he was found, okay, this was actually not true, and he is exonerated. So even out of that 5%, there are ways to find out what is true. Finding out the truth so that justice and righteousness could be accomplished in society was very important to God, and it's very important to the safety of our neighbors, of our community. Unfortunately, many Christians have been guilty of sharing and supporting falsehoods, that undermine justice, that undermine the protection of our neighbors. And unfortunately, most of this happens in the realm of public discourse and politics, right? The Pew Center found that in the 2016 presidential election, 23% of Americans knowingly or unknowingly shared a made-up news story on social media. That means in 2016, one out of the four people you know, even church people, They were sharing false stories that confirmed or supported their own biases. And I'm pretty sure it was worse in 2020, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be worse in the next election cycle. Again, Pastor Adam Hamilton, he writes, this is a moral crisis that undermines our institutions and relationships. The ninth commandment was given because there was a basic recognition that a society cannot stand when false testimony becomes an acceptable practice. That seems pretty foundational, right? When we lose trust in society because of lies, it disrupts all of society. So if we speak, if we share something, if we write, we have to ask ourselves, this is like the first rule, right? If I speak, if I'm saying something, is it true? Is this honest? Is this the whole truth? Am I slanting it in some way? Do do I have evidence for what I'm saying? Because the reality is we are not free to speak lies, And lies in public need to also be corrected for the protection of our neighbors. Because these lies, these misrepresentations, these deceptions, even shared via email and social media, they contribute to the pot of lies that people believe in society and they have real consequences. I mean, think about January 6th, right? People caught up in all the deceptions and lies about the election being stolen from Donald Trump and others. They marched to the Capitol and 138 police officers were injured that day, not to mention all the other damage and fallout that happened. But the reality is this is nothing new because lies like this happen when there is political turmoil in the nation. In fact, way even before Jesus in Isaiah's day, there was so much political turmoil going on. 
This is the divided kingdom. There's Israel in the north, there's Judah in the south, and there's rumors of wars and alliances. And look what Isaiah, the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of the people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the only one you are, the, or the one you are to dread. A very dangerous form of false witness is conspiracy, according to the Bible. A really dangerous form of false witness is, calling, is falsely calling everyone else a false witness. I mean, isn't this what happens today? You know, many people today, they resort to calling everything a conspiracy, everything's a political witch hunt, every judge, every courtroom, every lawyer, every politician, every investigation is simply a political stunt and without any evidence of that being the case. Friends, this is a dangerous form of false witness, I submit to you. And no matter what political side or who it's coming from, Christians ought to denounce such false witness. Refuse to join in it or support, support it. Refuse to repost it because it is truly undermining the integrity of society and the safety of people. And so just like Deuteronomy, we look for investigations and inquiries and we do our best to discern and determine what happened from the evidence that we find. Why do people believe and share false conspiracies. What does the the Lord say in Isaiah? Do you catch it? He talks about the fear of the Lord. They are afraid. They are afraid of what will happen. They're afraid of where the country is going. They're, They're afraid of the people in power that they don't trust. They're afraid of policies getting in place they don't agree with, and they're afraid of what will happen. But friends, we're not to be afraid of any of that. We're not to be afraid of any of that. Did you hear me? We're not to be afraid. Do not be afraid of these things. Because we trust the Lord. We fear the Lord. Do you trust that He is Lord and on the throne? No matter what kind of political turmoil we're going through, He's still the Lord. He's still King. So stop saying everything is a conspiracy. Look for and seek the truth based on the evidence you have and encourage the Christians around you to stop this behavior. It is truly dangerous to others and has real consequences for real people. And stop sharing the stuff online that is false or only half true. It's amazing. Sometimes I just go on different news sites and I'll look at Fox or I'll look at CNN and it's amazing just how slanted the different headlines for the same event are. It's like you're reading two totally different stories. It's crazy. And I'm telling you all this now a year in advance of another election cycle. Because by the way, I'm not partisan. I am for Jesus. I'm for the truth. And we could easily find all kinds of examples of this in history. We, I was just watching uh, Bill Clinton's infamous uh, declarations of his innocence 25 years ago. We could, mention, we could mention Watergate. We could mention so many others from across all spectrums. But the point is, as your pastor, I want to help protect you and others and protect the people around you. So turn from participating, sharing, telling, reposting lies and half-truths. Shift from that to start telling the truth and looking for evidence, nothing but the truth. 
And if you've been guilty of making false statements or assumptions, if you've shared false information and you now realize it, I encourage you to retract what you said and make amends. And by the way, when you do this, when you talk about these things, I would encourage you to speak to people in person. So much of the, lie, the fire of lies comes from the medium in which it's shared. And so if we're going to talk about these things, and I hope if you want to talk to me about these things, let's talk in person. Uh, because when we see each other face to face, we can be reminded that no matter what we've believed, if we've succumbed to some of these false things, we're all made in the image of God. And we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So again, is it true? Is it honest? Is it the whole truth? Do I have evidence for it? And I, I hope you hang with me. Just consider a few other ways that we are guilty of not sharing the whole truth. Think about taking more credit than you deserve. Perhaps you've had a, a boss in the workplace take credit for something you've done. Hopefully not. How about not owning up to your problems but shifting the blame onto something or someone else? When we use exaggeration, flattery, or sensational speech, Sometimes I think we're, we're tempted to exaggerate our accomplishments ourselves or to exaggerate the qualities in others in order to flatter them and win something from them. Another way that we traffic in half-truths is with God and His Word. You know, Jesus and the apostles were very concerned about false teaching in the church because Satan is actually the one who twists God's Word. He did it in the garden. Did God really say this or that? And then when you get to Jesus in the New Testament, Satan quotes Scripture to Jesus, which should give us all pause that the Word of God can be manipulated to satanic and uh, harmful ends through lies and through people who twist the Word to get what they want. So we must be on guard against all kinds of lies because they have their root in Satan and we must turn from lies to the truth. The second thing, we're going to go from speaking evil of people, to speaking well of people. You all still with me this morning? Okay. The Bible wants us to speak well of our neighbor, and I'm mainly talking here about when we're speaking of people not in their presence. So first of all, the Bible condemns gossip and slander. Slander is the act of uttering false statements, disseminating misinformation, for the purpose of defaming or injuring the reputation of another person. Gossip is similar. It's spreading secrets or rumors, especially those that harm the reputation of another. The essential question is, how do you talk about other people when they're not around? If we could record over the past week all the words you've said about other people, and we could play that tape in the presence of the person you were speaking about, how happy would you feel about this hypothetical situation? Hopefully positive. We want to be speaking well of our neighbor. And as Luther said, we want to explain everything in the kindest way, the most charitable way possible. Often the best rule is simply to keep silent, but if something needs to be discussed, make it charitable, make it loving, make it understanding. Because reality is, I know, I'm human too, sometimes you need to process a situation with someone. That's okay. If possible, Consider leaving the person's name out of it. If possible, talk with somebody who's not, who doesn't know the person so you can protect the person's reputation. Because this commandment, part of it is that it's seeking to protect the name of our brothers and sisters. Just as we are not to use, misuse God's name in the third commandment, 
to take it in vain, to use it for an empty purpose. So we ought to take care of other people's names, not drag their name through the mud, not tarnish their name. So if we talk of others, let's praise them, let's compliment them, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and love them as ourselves. The third turn we're going to make is from silence to speaking up. Sometimes it's wisdom to not say anything at all, especially if you don't have anything nice to say. We learned that in kindergarten, right? But sometimes not using your words to bring life, to defend others, to speak up for the truth can be morally wrong and harmful to others as well. Let me give you a couple examples from Scripture. Leviticus 19. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand idly by when the blood of your neighbor is at stake. I am the Lord. You've got to stand up when someone's life is at risk. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. Speak out for those who cannot speak for the rights of all the destitute. Speak out, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. We're to speak up on behalf of justice and righteousness as the Lord gives us opportunity. And sometimes this, this is so difficult because uh, the truth is not often popular. Um, it's not often accepted. Um, again, to be honest with you, talking about all the lies in the political realm, that was uncomfortable for me uh, because it's not always popular. It's hard to do. But we need to speak up, and it's my job to speak up for the truth and to protect the sheep that God has given me as far as depends on me from the lies of this world. So I would encourage all of us to seek the truth and to speak up for it because all of us have a job and a responsibility in this area. To speak up for justice, to speak up for the vulnerable, to speak up for Jesus, right? To speak up for the gospel. You will be my witnesses. Power will come on you. You will be my witnesses. Those who testify to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So don't let your tongue go mute when the world needs your voice. There are many other ways we should consider speaking up as well. Um, Sometimes our brothers and sisters, they are correction. Man, that's also uncomfortable. So instead of recusing ourselves, we should help our friends with our words. That's one of the best ways you can love them. Leviticus 19.17 says this, You shall reprove your neighbor or you will incur guilt yourself. The idea was is that we are responsible for one another as the people of God. If you see your brothers or sisters in sin, living in sin, especially continually, and you don't say anything, and so you are complicit in that to some extent, and you become guilty ourselves. But not only that, not just because we might be guilty, which is not always the best motivation, but also think about it as an expression of love and as an expression of friendship. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 is this. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Well meant are the wounds a friend inflicts, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. A good friend will call you out and call you higher. If you have friends like that, hold on to them. You need friends who will call you out and call you higher, higher in holiness, higher in following Jesus, higher in the truth, higher in justice. I hope you have that in your life. Friends are known for saying what you need to hear when you need to hear it. And if you refrain from providing them counsel and wisdom and truth when your friend needs it especially, that's not loving them well. 
We need to tell, tell our friends, our brothers and sisters, what they need to hear. But always do it in love. And always do it with such gentleness. And always do it, as Luther said, in the kindest way possible, being as charitable as possible. Like Jesus said, it's like, it's like taking the, 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 thing, the, the speck out of, the, out of your neighbor's eye, which is such a gentle process, and making sure we're working on ourselves as well. A final way that we should speak up instead of be silent is to confess our sins. Confession, along with other forms of vulnerability, are they're good for you, therefore are flourishing, and they show that your neighbor, that you love them enough to trust them with the parts of you that aren't perfect. And when we do that, we can find life and freedom. In fact, two weeks ago, when we talked about adultery and, and lust, I encourage you, if you were secretly struggling with a sin, to find at least one person and tell them about what you're going through. If you haven't done that yet, I hope you do. We need to open our hearts up so we can find life, healing, and mercy. So, we're going to turn from lies to the truth. We're going to turn from speaking evil of people to speaking well of people. We're going to turn from just silence to speaking up. And then finally, we're going to turn from harmful words to healing words. We talked about how we speak of others when they're not around. This is the words that you speak to people, which have a high potent for destruction or healing. In fact, Proverbs 12, 18 says this, that rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Again, consider what words would you like people to say to you? Think about affirmation. This is, this is giving your approval to people's good qualities and behaviors. Praise, commending the qualities and good things you see in a a person, expressing your appreciation and gratitude for what they do for you and what they mean to you. Uh, These are loving words. Consider 1 Thessalonians 5 and how much speech is required here. We urge you, brothers and sisters, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Again, how do we do most of those things? Through our speech, through our speech, through our words, admonishing, encouraging, helping, building each other up. And then Paul moves to using our words for worship and prayer and praise and thanksgiving. You know, when Jesus told us to love our enemies, he said, pray. Pray for those who persecute you. So we're to move from potentially bitter, destructive words to letting that person that you really struggle with, or that person that you are bitter towards, that person that is not kind to you, the person you might hate, to letting their name be on your lips out loud in prayer. Wow. And praying that God would bless them that God would, would reach out to them, that God would save them, that God would help them in any way that they need. Oh, what a transformation. And how hard that can be to do. But friends, that's actually the path to healing. It's the path to life. Ancient laws, flourishing life. Probably the most powerful thing you can do with your words is to pray. To pray for others. Let your neighbors, let your family's name, let your, let your brothers and sisters' names be on your lips. Bring them before our Heavenly Father. So this command in general, it's about loving our neighbors, 
protecting truth in the world. And so in order to love our neighbors well, we have to turn from lies to the truth. We have to stop being complicit in lies in whatever way we can. We've got to stop speaking evil of people behind their backs to instead speaking well of them. We need to turn from silence to speaking up when it's necessary. And we must turn from speaking, speaking harmful words to speaking words of healing and life whenever we have the opportunity. Out of those four, which one might the Lord be calling you to take a step this week? Maybe someone needs some words of affirmation, some words of encouragement. Maybe someone needs your prayers. Maybe there's ways you've been talking about people that the Lord is convicting you to stop. Invite the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to lead you into the truth. And as I close, I just want to remind you that Jesus died at the hands of false witnesses. He died because of lies. Lies sent our Lord to the cross, lies kill, lies destroy. And these were truly lies without any evidence. They, they were trying to find false witnesses, right? They couldn't really find anybody, and maybe some of them were at cross purposes with each other. And whatever witness they did found was not really legitimate. And then Pilate said, truly, this man has done nothing wrong. He tries to wash his hands of it. Jesus was an innocent man, condemned to the cross. He had done nothing wrong. But Jesus, he let lies do their worst. He took the falsehoods, he took the lies of this world, lies that happened to us, he nailed them to the cross, securing our redemption. And now he's the risen Lord of the world. And he now commissions you to bear witness to the truth to speak for the truth, to speak this good news, to speak up for your neighbor. Because of what our Savior has done, how can we participate in the fruitless lies of the world any longer? We must put them off, seek the truth, speak words of life.